So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. My heart is really heavy. I was telling the team in prayer tonight that I feel like I'm just carrying a burden, uh, the burden of the Lord. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of uh, somber in my preaching tonight. It really has nothing to do with anything except I feel like I have a burden from the Lord. And, um, but I wonder if you've ever gone a day without looking in a mirror. I'm sure none of us have. When you get up in the morning and you brush your teeth and wash your face, you probably do it at the bathroom sink. And men, you probably shave looking in the mirror. Women, you definitely put your makeup on looking in the mirror. And, um, and, and we use mirrors to see what changes or adjustments we need to make uh, in ourselves, to make ourselves more presentable to the world around us. And uh, what, what good would it be if I got up in the morning and I looked in the mirror and I saw that I had a big black mark on my face, but I did nothing to do anything about it? That mirror would not have served me well, would it? And yet, James says in James chapter 1 that the Bible is a mirror for us. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all that he does. And so James is saying we have two options in life. We can, uh, when we hear God's word, we can either be a forgetful hearer or an effectual doer. And so many of us are just hearing the word. That is the burden that I feel like I'm carrying. We, we, we hear the word Sunday after Sunday, Monday night after Monday night, and yet we don't apply it to our lives. And that's as foolish as looking in a mirror and seeing a black mark on our face and doing nothing about it. We need to hear the word. We need to meditate on it. We need to allow it to reflect back on us the things that need to be changed in our lives. I, I always tell my husband, you don't need to correct me. The Lord will correct me at the fireplace in the morning because when I open his word, it reflects back to me who I am. It reflects back to me the areas that he, he, he wants to adjust and, and fix in my life. It reflects back to me the, the areas that I, I don't know who I am, and, and he reflects it back to me. And we need to, just like if I saw a black mark on my face in the mirror in the morning, I would respond to it. You and I need to respond to what we see in the Word of God, not walk away and forget what we look like. We need to make adjustments. The bathroom mirror is actually a call to action, and so is the mirror of God's Word. We need to not just be hearers of His Word. We need to do it. We need to apply it to our life because the Word of God says that when we do that, when we hear God's Word, apply it to our life and do it, we actually will be blessed in all that we do. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be blessed. Whether we like it or not, the way we behave really reveals what we believe. So when we're hearers and not doers, what we say is we've heard it, but we don't believe it. Otherwise, we would apply it to our life and do something about it. You can say we believe all we want, but how we act, the way we act, give, gives credence to what we say we believe. 
And tonight we're going to look at a passage that in 13 verses, Paul gives 30 commands. 30 commands. Um, and, and so I want to challenge you to not just hear this word tonight. Not just to look in the mirror of his word tonight, but to actually leave and do what it says. Because we can say we believe God's word. We can say we're followers of Christ. But Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. And tonight in this passage, we're going to talk about those 30 commands are all about loving one another. Love is so important. By this, they will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Mm, that's a hard one. I'm, I'm going to say it again because we need to let it burn inside of us. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one. Evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Would you just pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I have so many notes tonight, and I need you to give me clarity. I need you to guide and direct this message. I, I need you to help me to know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and, and how to say it in a way that will penetrate lives. Penetrate my life with it, Lord. Change us, Lord. We're here eager to hear from you, and I pray that we would encounter you in such a way that truly would leave us transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. When I started as a pastor at Grace Church, the leadership board gave me a detailed job description. I like that. I, I like A's. I like to, to know this is what's required of you to get an A because I like to get A's. And, and so I need something to go by. I need, I, I need to know what was going to be required of me on the job. And that way there's no questions about what is expected. Are you following me? And, and, and even my husband said to me, he said, now, Rhea, in a year, you will be reviewed based on this job description and how well you fulfill the requirements that were given to you. And that was good for me because I didn't have to guess what I was signing up for. It was clearly outlined for me. Can I tell you, in the scripture tonight, 
God clearly outlines what is expected of us as followers of Christ. He said, this is how I expect you to love. This is what I expect of you as my follower. And, and, and so I don't know about you, but I like that. I like it to be clear. I like it to be outlined for me. And, and that's why our passage tonight began uh, with, with, with a, a, a therefore. If you, if you look over in, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, therefore. Uh, that's how it begins. We talked a bit about that last week, and, and we talked about being uh, living sacrifices, and this is so important because you cannot do what, what verses 9 through 21 instruct us to do unless you understand verses 1 and 2. And so let's go back and just look at that one more time. Paul begins by saying, therefore, because for the first 11 chapters in the book of Romans, he is talking about all the things that God has done for us. Who knows? that we deserve hell. I don't know about you. Maybe you don't realize that, but I do. I understand that, that I deserve hell and I've been given heaven and there was nothing I could do to earn it. It was a free gift of grace given to me. And it wasn't by works so that I couldn't boast. It was a gift of God. And I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. But he gave it to me. And praise the Lord, he doesn't treat me like my sins deserve because I deserve hell and I got heaven. I don't understand that kind of mercy. And that's what Paul is saying in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, in light of all the mercies that you've been shown, in light of the fact that you deserve hell and you've been given heaven, in, in, in light of the fact that, that you don't have to earn this, that it was a free gift that's been given to you, in light of all the mercies that you have been given, the least that you can do is to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You see, sacrifices in the Old Testament, Testament were acts of worship. Do, do you understand that? You, you presented a, a, a dead sacrifice for, 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 uh, on the altar in the Old Testament. That You presented it alive. They killed it. The blood flew out, uh, flowed out, and, and it, it atoned for sin. You don't have to do that anymore. That's already been done for you. He was the once and for all sacrifice poured out for you. And now in light of that, he's asking that you give yourself back to him as a living sacrifice. That daily sacrifices die. And I'm telling you that, that, that we are called to die daily, to present ourselves to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, it says. He says, this is your reasonable service, and I love that. That, that word reasonable, he's appealing to the logic. He's appealing to our logic. Because I don't know about you, but I'm an emotional woman. And my husband is logical. But, but he's appealing to our logic here. He's saying this makes sense. That all God has done for you. If you understand a God who would love you that much to do all that for you. He is not asking anything of you except what's for your best. And so if he's asking me to die to my flesh and to live for his word and to walk in obedience to it, there must be a benefit that's coming to me. Because a God who would give everything for me would certainly not be setting me up for, for, for a hard life by asking me to die. Do you see it? It's your reasonable service. 
But then he says this, he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we talked about that last week, but I want to review it again because I saw something this week I didn't see last week. He says, and, and do not be conformed to the image, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and that word conformed, we talked about it last week. That, that's where we get our word schemes. And the patterns of this world, the, the word world there is not the United States of America and all the surrounding nations. It is not that at all. It's, it is the age. <laughs> Do not be conformed to the patterns of this age. Who, who knows who is the, the ruler of this age? Who is it? Satan, he is the God of this age. And, and, and here we're told, do not be conformed. Don't fall for the schemes of this age. The word pattern is not even in the original language. The, the, the translators put that word in there. What it really says is don't be conformed to the age. Don't fall for the schemes of the age. Can I tell you about some of the schemes of the age? The schemes of the age say, you know what, you don't have to obey God's word. You don't have to forgive. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to, to hold that against that person. You have a right to keep a record of wrongs. You need to protect yourself. You, you need to take care of you because nobody else is taking care of you. And you need to just make sure they pay dearly for what they, and you need to tell them a thing or two because you have a right to be heard and you have a right. What else? Give me another scheme. <laughs> Are you following me? The schemes of this world, the ones that are really opposed to God's way. He says, don't be conformed. Don't fall for the schemes of this age. <laughs> the, the patterns, you see patterns. That, uh, a translator put that word in there, but, but you know a pattern. I, I really like, you know, little. I'm buying little girl stuff now because I'm getting a baby girl, a baby granddaughter, and that's so much better than this boy stuff. I'm just telling you, you can buy such sweet things, and they got patterns like flower patterns everywhere, all over them. I just love it. But a pattern repeats itself, and the patterns of this age repeat itself. You deserve to have fun. You deserve to splurge. You, you deserve to treat yourself. You deserve to have the final word. You deserve a better husband. I met with a young lady this week who said, Rhea, I'm getting a divorce. And I said, really? Tell me why. And she said, because I deserve to be cherished. Yep, because you've conformed to the patterns of this world. Let me tell you, if, if I went by being cherished, I would have divorced a long time ago. I have a Brit with a stiff upper lip. You, you don't wake up in the morning saying, I deserve to be cherished. You wake up in the morning because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you understand that you are here to manifest his presence wherever you go. And you're not here to be cherished, you are here to cherish. My goal is not to get that man to cherish me, but to see what I can do to cherish him, to outdo him in cherishing. That that is actually a game I play. I can outdo you in cherishing. It's almost a competition. How can I outdo you in cherishing today? Because I am here to cherish you, to love you. I am not here to be cherished. Because I am a living sacrifice. I am dead. I'm on the altar. I am dying to what I need. I am not conforming to the pattern of this world. I said, hey, girl, you deserve to be cherished. You are so special. You are so sweet. You, are so, you deserve to be spoiled. 
So what happens when I wake up and I'm not being spoiled? And I'm not being cherished. And then I divorce that husband. And I go to this husband and marry again. And it's good for a while. But then he doesn't cherish me. And he doesn't spoil me. And I say, I, I deserve to be cherished. And then I go over here to this husband. Are you following me? The patterns of this world. And yet, if I am transformed by the renewing of my mind, I have a metamorphosis that takes place, and I say, God, I'm going to prove your acceptable and perfect will, and your perfect will is for me to love well and to overcome evil with good, and your perfect will is for me to ooze your love and to demonstrate your love in everything I do. So I'm going to prove that in my life, and I'm going to transform my thinking, and I'm going to wake up today not saying I deserve to be cherished. I'm going to wake up this morning, and I'm going to say, I deserve to love well. That's why I'm here. I deserve to manifest the presence of God everywhere I go. And so do you know what? Even in the face of not being loved well, I am going to love well because I know that if I do that, I'm going to be transformed. I'm gonna, there's going to be a metamorphosis that takes place in me, and I'm going to prove that God's word is real, and it's, and it's perfect, and it's good. Do, do you see? But I'll never prove it if I never do it. If I never exercise it and I say, I'm not going to be squeezed into the mold that says I deserve to be cherished. I am going to be transformed by the word of God that says I am here to love well everywhere I go. And I'm going to ooze it and I am going to outdo another person in loving well. Do you see it? So we're, we're not going to be squeezed into the patterns of this world. We're going to be transformed. So look at this. For I say through the grace given to me, verse 3, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And you say, well, how can, how can I do that? How can I prefer someone else to me? Uh, how, can I, how can I do that? Because to each one of us has been given a measure of faith. And I have, to, to, he says, I, I want you to just put your, your faith in my word. I, I want you to understand that, that you have what it takes. I've given you a measure of faith so that you can do that. So we start by saying we, we are called to be a living sacrifice, to die to self, to start living for what he, I, I'm telling you, if I, could, if I could beg you to get this, I would. If I could just, I, I want to save you so much pain and heartache. I'm like, Lord, why didn't you show me this years ago? Why, why didn't I get this years ago? But I'm telling you, I get a chance to preach this. I get a chance to drive this home to you. And I'm telling you, this works. When I said to that little sweet thing, oh, darling, I'm sorry that you don't feel cherished, but let me tell you the secret to making this thing work. I'm going to snatch from the fire. I'm going to keep people uh, for, from making the same mistakes that I made. I'm telling you, this works. It works. God's way works. If I could just get you to understand that, that, that when we die, we actually live. That in dying to self and to what my flesh wants, I can't tell you because you have to experience it. You have to learn it. But you have been given a measure of faith that even right now your spirit is agreeing with me. That, that you understand that the way to, to live is to die. 
and that the way to life is to do things God's way, not to conform to the patterns that this world says work, but to be transformed by proving his good and acceptable will, and we find that in the word of God. So then he goes on and he says, love, let love be without hypocrisy. And it's interesting to me that, that Paul never gives us a definition of love here. He just gives us the characteristics. He says it has to be without hypocrisy. And the love that he's talking about, and you've heard me say this a million times, is agape. And we're going to go over the definition again because I, I just think we, we, we lose sight of what agape is. It is God's love in us. It's an unconditional love. It's not a love that says, when you straighten out, I'll love you. It's an unconditional love. It's a love which is unconcerned with the self. And instead, it's concerned with another's feelings, with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't about my feelings at all. It isn't born out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction. But it's the result of the will. It's a decision. Hmm. That means when, when my husband doesn't treat me well or doesn't meet my needs or doesn't cherish me the way I want to be cherished, I'm okay with that. Because I have the power to agape him. It's not re it's when, when he gets old and gray and, and heavy and, and out of shape, that means it's not about attraction. That, that, that it is not based on attraction because that's an immature love. A mature love, God's love in you, is based on an act of the will, on a decision. I will love you. You may not deserve it, but I will love you. Agape is a sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. I've used marriage as an example, and forgive me, that's just what is in me. But, but I, I'm telling you that, that we need to look at how at work relationships, at friendships, at people who push every button you have, at family relationships. Who is hard to love? I'm telling you, you can love them well because God's love in you isn't based upon a feeling. It's a decision. God is the source of this kind of love. We love because he first loved us. And hear me, this kind of love is a manifestation of his spirit bearing fruit in the heart of a Yield it, saint. You see, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, uh, th those are all fruits of the Spirit. The, the fruits come from abiding and yielding to them, not working them up. And so if you don't have fruit that's being demonstrated in your life, it's because you're not surrendered and yielding to the Spirit in your life. You're yielding to your flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are at odds with one another. That they can't exist. That they're going to constantly be warring against each other. And so we have to make up our mind that we will yield to the Spirit's work in us. This week as I was meditating on this passage, I, I, I was thinking, you know, Paul is very much talking about how we love others. But, but as I meditated on it throughout the week, I began to see that God was saying to me, Rhea, I want your love for me to be without hypocrisy as well. That word hypocrisy is where we get our word play actor. It's, it's one who wears a mask. It's one who plays a part. And, and what he's saying is he does not want us wearing a mask. 
He doesn't want us playing, play acting. He doesn't want us two-faced, if you will, in our love. He doesn't want us wearing a mask, pretending to love somebody, but really feeling something different in our heart. That's hypocrisy. And he says, I want your love for one another to be without hypocrisy. You say, well, Rhea, how do you do that? You do that back in verse 1, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice, when you die to self, when you die to having your needs met by somebody else instead of by God. It means a love without mixture, a love that's truly sincere. In the Latin, it, the word is sincera. It's where we get our word sincere. And, and in, in Bible times, they had people who, who made... Uh, pottery out of clay and, and, and sometimes the, the clay would get cracked and, and rather than waste it, what they would do is they would fill it with wax. They would dye it the color of the clay and they would fill it with wax and they would fill in the crack with, with, with uh, this wax and, and you couldn't see it until you held it up to the sun and, and then you could see that it was cheaper pottery that had been repaired instead of perfect pottery. And so in that time, the merchants would, would advertise, they would say, this is sincera pottery. It, it was pottery that, that had met the, the, um, the, the test, that, uh, that it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was without wax. And so what this word means is that you and I are to be without wax. We're to be sincere in our love. We're not supposed to dress up our love like, like we're all that in a bag of potato chips, but our heart is still messed up. I know people like that. I woke up. We were at a conference. I don't even know where we were. Nashville, I think. Um, we were in Nashville, and, and I, I, I went to, to bed, and I woke up to these symbols, and they were hand symbols. Ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Are you, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? And, and I was like, where is that coming from? And I couldn't get myself out of sleep enough to, to find out where these symbols were coming. But throughout the entire night, I heard ding, 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 these hand symbols. So I get up the next morning. And finally, I just was like, fine, I'll get out of bed, Lord. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to study um, 1 Corinthians 13. So I got up, and I've been studying that for a couple study that we were doing. And Leslie came down to the conference center for, for coffee earlier. And I'm like, did you hear the symbols last night? And she said, no. And so I was like, that's so weird. And so the next night, I'm like, Lord, I, I was studying 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about love being like uh, you clanging symbols. And if that's what you're trying to tell me, then I need to hear those symbols one more time. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I went to bed that night turned out the light, was dozing off to sleep, and all of a sudden I heard ding, ding, one time. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'll get up in the morning and I'll study those symbols. I had no idea. D do you know that that love chapter starts out with the symbols? And I thought it was, boing, that kind of symbol, you're with me? But it's not. If you study it, and I didn't know this, but the temple prostitutes, they had temple prostitutes in Bible times, and, and they were women who would try to attach, uh, uh, to attract men and, and allure them in with fraudulent love. And they used hand symbols and symbols on their ankles, and they would ding, 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 come to me, I'll give you fraudulent love, ding, 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 ding. And that's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 13. If you do all these things and you have not true, authentic love, sincere love, ding, 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 you're offering hypocritical love, you're offering fraudulent love, 
wherever you go. And Paul said, you can't do that. Your love needs to be without hypocrisy. It needs to be sincere. It needs to be real. And the only way you're going to do that is if you're spending time in his presence, learning to die to self and live for him. And so uh, Ray Steadman says, sham love comes from the flesh. It comes from the pretender uh, that is down inside of all of us that wants to be thought well of, even though we're really not worthy of it. And we so easily succumb to this desire. But true love comes from the Holy Spirit. <coughs> true love is manifested by learning from the Word of God how you should behave in a certain situation. And then depending on the Spirit of God to give you the strength to do it. Moving out and doing that very thing. That is the way you love. By acting in obedience to what the Word tells you by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Matthew Henry says, hypocrisy is doing the devil's work wearing God's uniform. That was profound to me. Hypocrisy is doing the devil's work wearing God's uniform. It's Judas kissing Jesus, betraying him with a kiss. You're, and Jesus, like, he, he, Jesus said to him, you would betray me with a kiss? <laughs> Love without hypocrisy. That's what he says we need to do. How, how can we do that? Because we understand we've been given a measure of faith by which we can do it, and we're going to die and, and be a living sacrifice. So um, uh, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. I, I want you to look at that. Abhor what is evil. That word abhor means to dislike, to have a horror of, to detest utterly, to hate. The word evil is so interesting there. There are two words for evil in the Bible. One of them is kakos and the other is porneros. And uh, the second word is, which is the word that's used here. And it means evil that is injurious to somebody else. Evil that is injurious to somebody else. It's a relationship word. If you miss everything else I say, please, please hear me here. We are being commanded to abhor, to absolutely hate, to detest anything that would cause injury to another person. Lord, don't let that come out of, my, out of my mouth. Let me love so well. Let me love in a way that's not hypocritical that I would never do anything to injure another person. Abhor, make me abhor what is evil, Lord God. What would ever cause injury to another person? I'm telling you, church, we have got to watch our mouths. We've got to watch our conversations. We've got to think, what if God was listening? God is listening. And we should not be saying anything about anybody that if God were standing right there, we wouldn't want him to hear. We're called to a higher place than that. We've got to start letting this word affect us and change us. We have to start being doers of this word, not just hearers. You see, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by the fact that we look different, by the fact that we act different. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. The idea of hypocritical love, it embraces evil. Anytime I say I love someone, but then am injurious to them or say something nasty, my response to them is hypocritical. Cling to what is good. That word cling means to glue, to cement, to fasten together. 
to join yourselves to what is good. That word good is upright, honorable, acceptable to God. It's the word that's used when, he, when the sower and the seed and he falls on good ground. And it's a picture of someone whose heart is ready to do what God wants them to do, to follow God's word no matter what. Cling to that. Be the kind of person that shuns, that hates anything that would hurt somebody, that would injure somebody. And instead, cement yourself to do what God has told you to do to live the way God has told you to live, to love well, to represent him well. Cement yourself to that. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. That kindly affectionate is just the love of a family. And that's what we're called to do with one another. We are all in the family of God together. We're called to show love, to demonstrate love. Remember, it's not an action, it's, an em it's not an emotion, it's an action. 1 John uh, 4 says, we love because he first loved us. And listen to this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who is not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. If you're sitting here tonight <clears throat> and you have hatred in your heart for somebody, or somebody has done you so wrong and you just can't seem to move beyond it. Some of you are sitting here tonight and maybe 10 years ago, somebody did something to you. And it's so real to you that you could recount the details to me. And, and you, could, you could rehearse them. In fact, you do rehearse them. And, and you're always, it's always in your form, form on, forefront of your mind what they've done to you. And because you have not yielded, and I'm saying it as gently as I can, because you've chosen to hold that against them and conform to the pattern of the world that says you have a right to not be forgiving. You have a right to protect yourself. You have a right to be angry. Because you've chosen to conform to that thinking, you, you see, God's word says that we're clay, right? Are you, do you know that passage? That you and I are clay. He describes us as clay. A clay needs a potter. And if I am not yielding to God's word and being pottered by that, Guess who's pottering me? And that person that you're so angry about that hurt you 10 years ago, they're, they're getting the chance to potter you. They've been spending 10 years molding you and making you into a bitter, unforgiving, unkind person. And it's all because we've chosen to believe the lie that the world actually knows more about life and liberty than God. Because God is the one who promises liberty. He's the one who promises life. He says his path leads to pleasant places. And his path doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It, it doesn't treat people in response to what they do to us. It doesn't demand that you treat me a certain way for me to love you well. That, that in, in fact, the worse you treat me, the better I'm going to treat you. I Because now, I, the Bible says... Don't, don't get vengeance, the rest of this passage, but, but give place to God's wrath. That means if you treat me mean and I get you back, I have now lost place for God's wrath. And my job is to love you and love you well. And then I am making place. Don't give place to the devil. You know that scripture that I talk to you about all the time? Same word. 
I give an occasion for the devil to act when I give place to him. And when I don't give place to God's wrath, something else fills that place, and it's my vengeance. Do you see it? And so by loving well and forgiving freely, I'm giving place to God's wrath. Here, here's what we haven't settled in our hearts, is we don't believe God's word. I really believe that's the key. We don't believe that he means what he says. Because if I really believe that, the last thing I would ever do is hold on to unforgiveness. The last thing I would, do, I would ever do is retaliate, a tit for tat. Because if I believe God's word that I, I have to leave room for his wrath, I've just now filled the space of wrath with my own. Do you see it? So, so much. I just, so much more I want to say, but look at this. So then, um, look at this. Giving preference to one another. That, I like the NSAB better, the NASB better. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. I'm telling you, I do this with Dave. Like, it's so much fun. Because you cannot outdo somebody. It is, it's like when you obey God's word, it's amazing to me. Like, he does something nice for me, and I'm like, I'm going to outdo that. In my head, I'm like, outdo one another in showing honor. I can't wait to think what I'm going to do next because I'm going to outdo him in showing me honor. And, and it becomes just like this because it's God's word, and God's word works. But here's what we do. You said something mean to me, and I'm going to be angry. I'm going to give you a cold shoulder for the next week. And when you're sorry enough, and I think you're sorry enough, I might talk to you. And I'm going to give you silent treatment so you know I'm angry. Or we can outdo one another in showing honor and do it God's way and be transformed, metamorphosis, by renewing our mind. And we get to prove that God's word works. I said that little sweet thing. I, I promise you, this works. Don't divorce him yet. Give me a month. A month of you doing what God's word says. And if you can come back to me and say, this doesn't work, I'll take you to the courthouse. That's how convinced I am that his word works. It works, guys. It works. Outdo one another in showing honor. That word honor is the value by which price is fixed. You see, this is what we, we don't understand. Is those people at work that push our buttons and we don't like. Or, you know, the person at church who you talk to that you think, I don't like them very much. And they're not a nice person. And it's because we're not seeing the value that's fixed in them. That, that God says that they were created in his image and in his likeness. They are of great value and worth simply because he created them in his image and in his likeness. Now that image has been, for some people who are hard to get along with, it's been marred. <laughs> I have a picture on my desk. I actually wanted to bring it tonight and I forgot. I miss my mom and dad so much. And I have a, a picture on my desk and... I must have spilled coffee or something on it when I just didn't have it in a frame. And, and it's an old picture, and so it's curled up, and it's got a spot on it. And then I put it in a frame so it would paste it down nicer. And that picture <laughs> means so much to me. And it's marred, and it's wrinkled, and it's, um, it's damaged but it doesn't change how valuable it is to me. And somebody who's hard to deal with in your life, and you think <laughs> they're impossible to love, 
I kind of like that picture. They're still of great value and worth to God because he created them in their in his image and in, the, in his likeness. And they've just been marred by this world. And you get to call that treasure out in them. The harder somebody is to get along with, the more I realize the brokenness that's in their life, the pain that's in their life. And what if you're the only person that's going to love them well? We get to love people into wholeness. People need to know that you're safe. People need to know that, that you are not like everybody else and that when they bump into you, they're going to bump into your love and they're going to bump into your forgiveness and they're going to bump into the Jesus in you. Because you know what? He never gave up on me. If I were Jesus, I would have given up on me. I'd been like, she is a lost cause. Because I'd be doing well, then I'd fall. I'd be doing well, then I'd fall. I'd be doing well, then I'd fall. And like, I didn't just fall trip. I fell face down in the pig pen fall. And he's so patient with me and so loving. And yet I want to give somebody else a hard time and not show them mercy. In light of God's mercies, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Preferring one another, that word is actually, um, it means to take the lead. <laughs> To take the lead in, um, uh, let's read, preferring one another. It, uh, to take the lead in, in showing somebody honor. You see, I, I, I counsel with a lot of people, and they'll, they'll be like, nobody loves me. And, you know, I was raised in this childhood that this happened. And listen, I get it, because I was raised in one of those as well. And I'm super sorry <coughs> that you had to go through that. And I'm super sorry that you lived pain in your life. But Jesus came to redeem, came to buy back, came to heal, came to, to mend. And we've got to stop using this as an excuse to stay broken and start using the liberty and the freedom that Christ purchased on the cross as a reason to get whole. And, and so what I hear all the time is people say, well, I went to church and nobody greeted me. Okay, let's... Let's outdo one another in showing preference. Let's, let's take the lead in, in showing honor. That, you know, Rhea, nobody talks to me when I come to Bible study. Let's take the lead. Let's step out and, and, and give preference to one another and honor above somebody else. Let's, let's just take some responsibility in our own. Let's learn what it means to die to self. Wayne Barber says, when you present uh, your body a living sacrifice, then whatever agenda you had is dead under the blood of the cross. And now it is his agenda, and now you take the lead in it. <clears throat> Who is it that I can show love to today? Who is it that I can serve today? Oh, oh, folks, he says, if we could just see this. This is where the joy comes from in your life. It's the thrill of walking with God when you take the lead in loving others in the body of Christ. We get to take the lead instead of feeling sorry for ourselves. Look at verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That means not slothful or lazy. We can't get lazy in our following God and doing his will. We've got to be purposeful about it. Uh, diligence, not lagging in diligence, that means earnestness. It means an urgency without delay to do that. 
fervent in spirit. That word fervent means to keep the fire burning, stoking the fire. I love to go camping. I, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite vacations to take with Dave. And, and we do campfires, and we sit around the campfire at night. And if, if all we did was sit around the fire, the fire would eventually go out. But we have to keep stoking it. We have to keep putting wood in it to keep it burning. And some of you are not fervent in the spirit because you've stopped stoking the fire. You want God to zap you and to give you that passion and that desire, but it happens at the kitchen table with the Word of God. It happens in prayer. It happens not just coming to Bible study, but then taking what you hear at Bible study and stoking the fire in your spirit with it. He said, uh, fervent in, in um, spirit, serving the Lord. That word serving means to obey one's command, to render him the service due. And you've heard me say the word Lord, he to whom a person or thing belongs about which he has the power of deciding. Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey your command. I'm really kind of ticked off that you put me in this situation. I'm not happy where I'm at right now, but because you have the power of deciding in my life, this must be your, your will. Paul says, I've learned, therefore, to be content because I've learned that whatever situation I'm in, this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Because you can keep trying to change it. You can keep trying to, to get a different person that you're with or, 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 or change jobs or do whatever. But you know what? You still go with them. And you're still there. And, and so let's just stay and fix it, Lord. Let, let's just know that whatever situation I find myself in, therefore I will be content knowing this is your will for me in Christ Jesus. You want to teach me something here? You have something you want me to learn from this situation? He says, um, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continue steadfastly in prayer. And that rejoicing means to thrive and to be well. Rejoicing in hope. Hope is a confident expectation of good. Can I tell you, I don't care how hopeless your situation appears. I don't care how bad things are for you. I have a confident expectation of good for you because God is at work in your life. And when you embrace that and you are confident in hope, what, you will thrive. If, if you cannot be discouraged because you're rejoicing, you're thriving in hope. We serve the God of all hope, Scripture says. You're patient in tribulation. That word patient means to persevere under misfortunes and trials, to endure and brave, bear bravely ill treatments. Oh, Somebody needs to hear me say that tonight. The word patient means to bear bravely ill treatments. Somebody mistreats you. You are going to be patient in that tribulation because you understand that you serve the God of all hope and that you get to thrive and be well because your eyes are fixed on him and because you have determined that they don't get to potter you anymore, that you have one potter. You are the clay in the hands of one potter and you're going to yield to his word. You're going to yield to his spirit because when you you do he gets to potter you not Susie down the street not Sam that did that to you at work they don't get that kind of power anymore nobody can take your joy you give it up nobody gets to take your peace of mind you surrender that that's a fruit of the spirit when your husband is mean to you or your wife is sassy they don't get to get your joy and, and your peace you surrender that because peace and joy are a product of abiding in the spirit Nobody gets to potter you unless you let them. Patient in tribulation, continue steadfastly in prayer. Oh, I'm just telling you, 
that one is just powerful to me. I, I, I'm, the Lord is just, that word continue steadfastly, it means to be devoted or constant to one. It means to give unremitting care to a thing. It, it means to continue in readiness and continuing steadfastly in prayer, in conversation with God. I, I, I just in the past couple months, I used to get up at the wee hours of the morning and go down and I couldn't wait to study the word of God. And God has really changed this just recently in my life where I am going down and I get my cup of coffee and I sit in front of the fireplace and I just it's pitch dark in my house and I just talk to the Lord and just been talking to him about people and situations and my heart, my heart, and and just kind of just waiting for him to answer and I'm continu I'm learning to continue steadfastly in prayer because nothing moves me. If I get up in the morning and I spend that time in prayer, I find I'm ready for whatever's coming at me that day because the Lord and I have already talked it through and he's already corrected me. He's already put his finger on things. He's already talked to me about some things and and it's changing my life. And, and so he's saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Oh, here it is. Bless those who persecute you. That word bless is where we get our word eulogy. It means to speak well of, to celebrate with phrases, to invoke blessings, to, to cause to prosper. And bless those who persecute me. That word persecute means to harass, to trouble me, to mistreat me. Are you kidding me, Lord? Really? You want me to bless them. I want to slap them silly. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have the, I have the ability. I, I can have a temper. Uh, the Lord is changing my heart. He's conforming me to his image. But I'm telling you, push me bad enough and I, you'll see it. And, and I hate that. I hate that part of me. But, but now when he says, Rhea, not only do I not want you to sass back, because I don't just sass back. I can put somebody in their place quickly. I, I, it's a gift. Like, I, Leslie, I, I think on my feet. Like, I can do that. I hate that I can do that. I really wish he'd take it from me. I, I hate it. But I'm quick. And, and, and so not only has he said, now, Rhea, you can't do that anymore. Here's what he said you have to do. Bless them. Are you kidding me? They hurt me. Do you want to have a way to life or do you want to conform to the patterns of this world? And so now I want you to bless them. What does that look like? Because some of you are like, I, you want me to bless the person who hurt me deeper than anyone's ever hurt me in my life? No, that's what God says, not me. And that word bless means to speak well of. And he doesn't remember, it started with love without hypocrisy. So he doesn't want you to be fake and you're blessing them. So how does that work? How do I not be fake? Because the last thing I want to do is bless them. I want to smack them silly. How do I bless them? Lord, I just want them to know you. Because obviously if they can hurt me like that, they don't know you. And if they can be that wicked and that nasty, then they're not walking with you. And they must be so unhappy. And so, Lord, can you just bless them? Can you just draw them closer to you? Can you reveal yourself? See, that's not dangerous, is it? You can pray that, can't you? I mean, you're not asking them to get a brand new car. You're not asking them to have a bigger house or for them to get more money. You're asking for the Lord to draw them to himself because isn't that the ultimate blessing? Bless and do not curse. That word curse, of course, you all know what that means. It means to, to wish evil upon and 
Um, how does that even work? It works because we learn to be living sacrifices. <laughs> we were teaching at couples today this week, and we taught on love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. Love really does work. And when we choose love instead of cursing, it really does change everything. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Feel their pain. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on the high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one, not some. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't injure them because they have injured you. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. Look at them as image bearers. Have regard for the good things in them, in the sight of all men. Don't repay evil for evil. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. It's one of my favorite scriptures. If it is possible, and as much as it depends on you, there are some people that it's not possible to live at peace with. That you can love them well, you can be kind to them, and they are just not going to be at peace with you. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, you do your you do your share. But there are some people that no matter how well you love them, they're never going to respond in like. Think about how miserable they must be. But loving others, Max Anders says, especially our enemies, is the key test of the reality of a, being a living sacrifice. Loving our enemies is of higher value than retaliating against our enemies. It's the weapon that God has given us in overcoming. He says, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. The fact that he says do not be overcome by evil tells me that it's possible, that it must happen, that we get overcome by evil. The word overcome there is nikeo. It's where we get our word Nike, that evil carries off the victory in your life. I don't know about you. I love, I'm competitive. I, I really like to win. And the idea that evil wants to get the victory in my life just ticks me off and makes me more determined not to let it. And so he says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's how you get the victory. You ooze good. You ooze, you do what God says in their life. The word good there is God's good. It's his will. It's his word, being obedient to it. And that's how we overcome evil. And I'll tell you, like I told the little girl that I met with, if you... Don't believe me, try it for 30 days and just see. When somebody is nasty to you, don't respond in like, respond in good and see what happens. Die to self and start giving, outdoing another and showing honor and see what happens. I just want to read in closing uh, 1 Peter 2, 19 through 25. For God is pleased when conscious of his will you patiently endure unjust treatment. I could just stop right there. That's all I would have had to even read tonight. For God is pleased. When conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good, endure it patiently. God is pleased with you. 
For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He did not threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins on his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you were healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Can I tell you, his word is like a guardian over my soul. And when I do what he tells me to do, I can't explain it. I I said to the team tonight, I have this burden that's so heavy inside of me because I feel like I just can't explain what he's showing me in his word. But his word works. When we yield to what he tells us to do instead of what we feel like doing, I promise you it is a way to life. And it's a life that nobody gets to take from you. It's a life that your circumstances don't condition. It really does work. I understand there's cake. And so please um, please stay and join us. And uh, I'm going to continue the series next week. I hope you're benefit. Is it too much? Because please tell me if you feel like it's too much. And we'll go back to something a little fluffier. But But here's what I really feel is I really feel like I, you can get a message anywhere that makes you feel good. But I, I, I know that the call in my life is to equip believers for war. Um, I, I just believe that, that this is, these are frontliners here. Um, it, they're not marginal believers. And, and I, I really believe the, 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 um, the urgency I have is to get the word of God in you richly. And, and to challenge you to come up higher in it. Um, I, I promise you it's a way to life. It is a way to life. Um, so, Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for every man and woman here. I pray that you'd burn this word deep within them, that you would continue to give revelation and understanding, to give insight, Lord, how to apply it to their life and how to practically walk it out. I thank you, Lord, that you're the God who sees. And Lord, you're not asking us to die to something that you haven't already seen and aren't already aware of. You're with us like a mighty warrior. And that as we learn to walk with you, you will fight our battles for us. You invite us just to stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Draw us to yourself, Lord God, I pray. And bless the time of fellowship tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.